Okay, good morning, everybody. You heard Pastor Gabe talking about uh, the wedding that we got to do yesterday for that, uh, for that family. We did a memorial on Friday uh, for a gentleman who had, uh, uh, I think he'd lived till, I think he was in his 90s, um, but he had served and, and ultimately had, had just been ill his whole life with, with injuries that he received during World War II. Um, but they had a procession leave here that had about 30 motorcycles out front in the circle. And they did a procession down to Fort Logan and did the full military honor uh, burial down there. So it was, it's been a powerful few days. Been a powerful few days. Um, speaking of power, how's that for a segue? There's power in the body. We normally, um, we normally teach an expository style, which means we go into a book of the Bible or verses and we really just work our way through it and see what the Bible says. We rarely do a theme, okay? A theme is, means, and some churches, that, that is mostly the way they teach. You pick an idea, a, a, an idea that you want to get across, and you will find scriptures that, that support that, and you teach on that idea. We don't normally teach like that, but we're going to do that right now. And we're going to do that for the next few weeks. Could be three weeks, four weeks, five weeks. I'm not sure. We'll see what the Holy Spirit has to say to us. But the reason that we're doing this um, is because there are, since we moved into this new location, we have gotten a lot of new family, a lot of new people coming in who don't maybe understand all the ins and outs. And I wouldn't blame most of us if we didn't, because we do a lot of things of the different ministries and the different things that we believe, the things that we teach here at Discover. Um, we believe very much that the Holy Spirit is alive and active in each believer of Jesus Christ, empowering that believer to do the things that Jesus did when he was walking the earth and to do even his words more than that. And the reason that we're empowered to do that is to stand against all the garbage that the enemy throws at us every single day and not only to be able to stand against that but to be able to be a reflection of who Christ is to this world who needs him desperately. And it's only through that power in us that we can do those things. We can do, um, through the power of Christ, we can heal. We can speak prophetic words. Um, there's just so many things that we're going to go into in this series so that we understand deliverance. Our deliverance ministry, standing literally in the gap between somebody who is being afflicted, tormented, lied to by the demonic world, and we can stand in that gap and we can help them to see the truth. And we can help them to come against all those lies of the enemy. That's our deliverance ministry. It is powerful. We'll be talking about that sometime in the next few weeks. I think Pastor Scott's actually going to deliver that, that message. Uh, but again, we're going to talk about healing. We're going to talk about prophetic. We're going to talk about all the things that the Holy Spirit can do through his people. And we believe that in this church. We believe just like that, and I know that's just, a, just a, a silly graphic, but that power, that power just coming out of that believer in Jesus, there is power in the body of Christ. 
and you are the body of Christ. I don't know if you knew that. So that's what we're going to talk about. So you may be saying, hey, welcome out there online, all over, wherever you are, by the way. I didn't do that. I got, wanted to get right into it. <coughs> Excuse me. So what is the body of Christ? We should probably define that if we're going to be spending time talking about the body of Christ, right? Body of Christ can be two different things. It can be the physical body of Christ. Scripture talks about that. His body on the cross being battered. We talk about that during communion. His body broken for you. But it can also mean his people, his church. And when I say his church, I don't mean just this building. I mean his church worldwide. Everyone who calls himself a believer in Jesus Christ is a part of the body of Christ. Okay, now if that sounds confusing to you, hopefully by the end of today it won't, or at least it'll be less confusing to you, because it matters. It matters. If you are a believer, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a part of the body, and so it should matter to you desperately that you understand your place in the body and what this means for the way that you live your life. We don't live our lives in a vacuum. Okay? Nor should we. We're not called to just sit and hunker down and wait for the worst to pass. We are called to get out there. Get out there and fight against powers and principalities and the things of this world. That's what we're called to do. And the only way we can do that is through the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Because we never be able to do it alone. That's what we're going to talk about here today. And by the way, if you're not a believer, you should want to be. Because it's through being a believer in Christ that you receive the Holy Spirit that you then have the power to stand against the things of this world. That's what we're going to talk about. So if you find yourself not really caring whether you're a part of the body or not, or maybe another way to put it is if maybe you've kind of heard it and kind of know it, but you're like, all right, well, that's cool. I'll just go ahead and live my life. You should want to understand. Because again... It matters. And I think if we don't fully, if, if we don't have a passion to find our place in the body and to, and to fulfill our place in the body of Christ, I think in part it's because as a church in general, we haven't done a great job in explaining what that means. And once you know what it means, I think it's going to matter to you. So here we are. Now, if, if I said, for those of you, my, my seasoned Christians... If I said we're going to be talking about the body of Christ and we're going to be talking about spiritual gifts and the Holy Spirit, what books would you think we're going to be spending time in? 1 Corinthians, Ephesians, Romans, Acts is the one I was looking for, right? You'd pretty much think that, right? That's not where we're starting today. We're going to start in Exodus, Anybody wonder why? Because only by, and this is why I think some, some, um, some people just tend to focus on New Testament scripture. It's a little bit more straightforward to understand. It's all about Jesus. It's all about the gospel message of Christ, and it's amazing. But if you don't know where you came from, if you don't know why that matters, then the significance of it pales. If you don't understand 
The alternative, we saw the video on freedom and those on Memorial Day, those who have given up their lives so that we can have freedom. If you don't understand that that happened, it's so easy to take our freedom today for granted. If we don't understand all the things that happened in Old Testament scripture, promises of God, covenants of God, that lay the groundwork for why we do what we do today, why we're charged with the things that we're charged to do today, then we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. It goes so much deeper. And so I hope by going all the way back into God's original covenant promises with his people, you're going to see that operating as a part of the body, an integral, vital, indispensable part of the body of Christ is not something that's just like, I guess if I have time, I'll do that. It is a charge from God, and it is why we're here. So I hope you understand that. I'm doing a whole lot of like emphatic stuff like that. It's going to look great on the video for those people who turn down the volume, and they're just going to see me flying around. I'm, I'm passionate about this, and I hope that you're going to be by the time we're done with this series. So we're going to be focusing on the body of Christ as represented by his church, okay? So again, Paul talks a lot about this, okay? The Apostle Paul talks a lot about this idea because he was really one of the first apostles that, was, that really had to go and explain this concept to people because it was a new thing with the Holy Spirit coming upon the believers, and, and he had to like, okay, he's just searching for ways to figure out how to make people understand, which is where he comes up then with the idea of, of if the body should say to the hand, I don't need you and things. We'll talk about that later. But he's trying to use any example to try and explain what it means. So you see things like in Colossians. Colossians 1.18. Talk about the body of Christ as represented by his church. And Paul says it in a lot of places, but here's a couple examples. Colossians 1.18. He, talking about Jesus, is also the head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come and have a place in everything. He's making it clear, Christ is the church. Christ is the head of the church. He is the church. He's the body. He's the head of the body. And then Ephesians 1, 23, and he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fits, who fills all in all. So, it's very clear that Paul is saying he is, he is the body, he is the church. We are one and the same. And so we need to know that. And it's appropriate that we're talking about this topic today. Other than being Memorial Day, anybody know what today is? Today is Pentecost. Anybody not ever heard the term Pentecost? You don't have to raise your hand or maybe even understood what it is. We're going to talk about that too. Pentecost is typically thought of as the birthday, figuratively, of the church. Okay? And I'm going to explain what that means. So today, Sunday, May 28th, is Pentecost. And so historically, that's when the church began, and it began with the giving of the Holy Spirit. It's why we have this graphic with the flame coming out, because when the Holy Spirit came upon believers, 
That's when they were empowered to do the things that we're called to do. That's when they literally became the body. Read Acts chapter 2 if you want a picture of what that is. And we may talk about bits and pieces of that. But I'm not going to go into the whole thing right now. But why is that a big deal? It's a big deal because that was God's plan. That was God's plan from the beginning. A lot of people look at, at Adam and Eve and, and Eve eating the apple and original sin and these sorts of things and go, well, but God had to scramble and find a backup plan. There's no backup plan. It was, was the plan. And his plan all along was to use you to fight against the powers of darkness in this world. That was his plan from the beginning. It's not a backup plan. It's the plan. So let's go back a bit. Come with me now. We're going to go all the way back to the time of Moses and Hebrew captivity in Egypt. Odd place to start when we're talking about the body of Christ and Pentecost and the Holy Spirit and all this. Seemingly, right? Follow me. So nine of the ten plagues... Most of us have heard this teaching, but if you haven't, we'll talk about it another day. Nine of the ten plagues had been visited on Egypt, trying to convince Pharaoh, prod him in a forceful way, to release the Hebrew people from captivity. Okay, And each one of these plagues was just increasingly ugly. Nine of the ten plagues have happened at this point, but still... Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he, and he would not release them then. The tenth and final plague here. Exodus 11, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Moses, one more plague I will bring on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from here. When he lets you go, he will assuredly drive you out from here completely. So not only is he going to let you go, he's going to pack your bags for you and help you go. Then Moses goes back and explains to his people what they need to do immediately. Like, this this is going to happen, so here's what we need to do. Exodus 12, verses 21-22. Then Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and take for yourselves lambs according to your families, And slaughter the Passover lamb. And you shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood which is in the basin and apply some of the blood that is in the basin to the lintel and the two doorposts. Literally paint the doorposts with the blood of the lamb. And none of you shall go outside of the door of his house until morning. All right, now, we sit here and we look at that and we go, okay, we know what's going on many of us, right, they had no context for that back then. So Moses is telling them this, and they're going like, okay, what? Why? Why would we do this? He goes on to explain to them the reason for this odd-sounding set of instruction. Exodus 12, 23, 24. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians... Now we're getting somewhere, right, if you're one of them. But when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will pass over the door. That's where the word Passover comes from. He will pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to come into your house to strike you. And you shall keep this event as an ordinance for you and your children forever. So in one phrase, he's telling you, look, 
the destroyer is going to come, but if you do this that you're being told, it will pass over and won't strike you. And not only that, this is going to be something you're going to remember. You're going to want to tell your kids. This is something you're going to celebrate every single year. He's telling them all that in one sentence. Now, you've probably heard the rest of the story to that point. It's very well known. You don't have to be a Christian to really understand that story. The Israelites escape Egypt, and Pharaoh's armies are chasing them out because he has, changes his mind and comes after them. They escape by the skin of their teeth, passing through the Red Sea that had parted miraculously. Right? We've, many of us have seen the movie. The Lord provides them with manna from heaven to eat. Okay? They don't have any food. They're in a desert. He provides them with manna from heaven, come down to eat. He provides them water from a rock. He provides them victory against an Amalekite army, all of which should not have happened in the natural. This is all miraculous provision from God. Finally, brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, how long, anybody know how long the Israelites were wandering in the desert overall? 40 years is pretty well known, right? Not by this time. We're only talking, we're talking a number of weeks, six weeks maybe. Okay, so it hasn't been that long. Brings them to the foot of Mount Sinai. They set up camp. Moses goes up onto the mountain. All this is fairly well known, right? Goes up onto the mountain to speak with God. Exodus 19, four through six says, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Okay, this is God speaking. It's in his voice. And how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That's the original covenant that God is making with Moses and the people of Israel. Verse 7, or I'm sorry, verse, uh, the rest of that verse, these are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. He's telling them, I'm going to give you a list of things in exchange for my deliverance of your people, my provision, my favor, this covenant I promise to you. I'm going to give you a list of things that are going to help you live a life worthy of what's happening here. He delivers what's called the Ten Commandments. Anybody ever heard of that? It's kind of obscure. <laughs> and another series of ordinances called Mosaic Law that go along with this. Again, just the idea is to help them live a life worthy of this covenant that God's making with them. And he commands them to celebrate and remember these ordinances with a yearly feast. Even then, he knows, like, look, if I don't do something, if you don't do something to remind yourselves of this, it's why we celebrate holidays, Memorial Day, Thanksgiving, all these things. It's a conscious reason to make us just stop and take a pause and think about what we're doing and think about how thankful we are. It's nothing new. This is what Moses has been told. So he goes down. I'm sorry, before he goes down, Exodus 23, 16, God says to Moses, also you shall keep the feast of the harvest of the first fruits of your labors from what you saw in the field, also the feast of the ingathering at the end of the year. 
when you gather the fruit from your labors from the field. He's telling him you're going to have a festival in the spring, another one in the fall, and you're going to remember my provision, okay? Now, sounds great. They live happily ever after. End of story, right? All right. Here's, here's an image. Many of us have seen this, right? Now, does he look like he's this? not an actual photo, by the way? I think, by the way, a little bit of trivia, Moses was the first person to download from the cloud onto his tablet. <laughs> okay, so does anybody know? Well, it doesn't look like he's super happy right now, does it? Okay, he's, he's not real happy. Let me tell you why. Apparently, when Moses was up on the mountain, now, most scholars agree that it was about six weeks from when they camped at the foot of Mount Sinai and Moses went up the mountain to talk to God. Okay, we think you can take that down now. It was about six weeks. It's not that long. But apparently, it was just long enough. Okay, anybody have kids? Would you leave them alone for six weeks? And No. Apparently, all the people of Israel are Moses' children now. And if you've studied Exodus, you know that Moses looks at it like that too. Here's what he sees when he comes down. Exodus 32.1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people assembled around Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a God who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what happened to him. They're just assuming Moses, like, he's gone. I don't know. if We don't know if he's even coming back. Why don't you make us a God who will go before us? So this is what Moses sees when he comes down and why he smashes the tablets. God gave him the tablets. He's coming down triumphantly. Look what God has given me. And he looks out and he sees what they've done. That's when you see that anger. He just smashes them. Like, come on, people. Now, why was he so angry? Why was he so angry? Exodus 32, 25 tells us that. Now when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to the point of being an object of ridicule among their enemies. So this was so well known. Whatever it is that they were doing, we know one of the things they were doing, but whatever else they were doing, their enemies around them, and every time they traveled anywhere, they were surrounded by enemies, still are today for the most part, the power of God operating for them and through them. Now remember, there's still the pillar of fire and there's still the cloud that they're following, and yet their enemies surrounding them are going, these guys, what are we afraid of? Look at the, this is a clown show these guys have going on right here. They're not fearful at all. And Moses sees that and goes, you're being ridiculed by your enemies. You are supposed to be different. You've been delivered by God. And you're supposed to be different. But here all your enemies are looking and you're an object of ridicule. So, long story short, God punishes them with a little plague of their own. You can read Exodus about that. But reaffirms his covenant with Israel. He tells Moses, 
He meets him on the mountain again, gives him new tablets to replace the ones he smashed. Now, this is important, okay? God says it's not, I know, I know how they're acting. I see it. I see it. But I made a covenant with them. And my covenant is not dependent on them being on their best behavior. That's what I want, but it's not dependent on that. My covenant is dependent on who I am. And because I made the covenant with them, I will uphold that covenant. But we got to do something <laughs> to help them act the way that they're supposed to act. So God reaffirms his promise, gives Moses new tablets, and Moses asks God this question, okay, before he leaves. He says this, Exodus 34, 9. Then he said, if any way... If in any way I have found favor in your sight, Lord, please may the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate and pardon our wrongdoings and our sin and take us as your own possession. He's saying, look, we've, I know we've done a lot of things, but can you stay with us? Because the minute that, the minute you leave us, the minute we don't see you in our presence, the people get out of control. So he asks them literally, I'm sorry, I'm distracted because there's a truck out here. Pastor Gabe, if you're in the office, the chair delivery for tomorrow is happening outside in the parking lot. <laughs> supposed to come later. Apparently they came now. It's hard to ignore this big giant truck unloading things outside here. Okay, back up. Rain it in. Exodus 34, 9. Then he said, Moses said, If in any way I've found favor in your sight, Lord, please may the Lord go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate, and pardon our wrongdoing and our sin, and take us as your own possession. Okay. Moses knows that the people will never be able to behave themselves, stay true. Stay true to who they are called to be without God's constant presence. That's important. Remember that. God agrees and makes another covenant with them. Exodus 34.10. Then God said, Behold, I am going to make a covenant. Before all your people, I will perform miracles which have not been produced in all the earth nor among any of the nations. And all the people among you will see the working of the Lord, for it is a fearful thing that I am going to perform with you. He's telling you, look, not only am I going to leave, and not only am I going to not leave you, I'm going to be with you all the time, and I'm going to perform things in this world where people will have no doubt that you are my people. It's going to be like nothing anybody has ever seen before. Then right after this, I don't have that scripture, but it's Exodus 34. It goes from about 11 to 17, 18. God warns them very explicitly, do not copy the customs of the pagans around you. Do not even tolerate their customs in your midst. I need you to be holy. I need you to be who I called you to be. So this yearly celebration, actually a series of yearly celebrations are ordered by God, instituted by God, so that they'll remember. Remember who they are. 
Remember who they're called to be. Exodus 34, 22. And you shall celebrate the feast of weeks. That is the first fruits of the wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the turn of the year. Anybody, my Bible scholars, Bible nerds, Kayla, no cheating because I know you heard on Wednesday. What's another name for the feast of weeks? It's called Shavat. It's called Shavat. Shavat, Hebrews celebrate Shavat, Shavat, not Shabbat, Shavat with a V. S-H-A-U-V-O-T for those taking notes. It commemorates God's promise to always be among them and to perform miracles among them so that people will see the faithfulness and the power of God. Okay? That's what Shavat is. Now, Shavat, also known as the Feast of Weeks, happens 50 days after the sacrifice of the Passover lamb in Egypt. Okay? That is 50 days after the original Hebrews escaped from Egypt by sacrificing the Passover lamb, painting it on the doorposts. 50 days later okay, is when God makes this covenant with Moses. That's why it's celebrated in that time frame. Now, another name for the Hebrew celebration of Shavat is Pentecost. Pentecost, what's penta mean? 50 or five. And so it's, it's, the, same, it's the same observance as Shavat. Think about how beautiful the significance is. At the time, even to this day, that Jews are celebrating Shavat, meaning the giving of the tablets, the giving of God's covenant, the laying down of the law and the covenant with his people, saying that I will never leave you, giving that all to them on tablets of stone. What we celebrate On Pentecost is the Holy Spirit coming in and writing his law on our hearts. So what they celebrate as a a stone tablet given, we celebrate as something alive and active given into our hearts, the heart of a believer. That is huge. That is huge. Now, it also fulfills a prophetic promise made by Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah was was hundreds of years before Jesus. And he writes this, Jeremiah 31, 31 and 32. Behold, days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. That's what we just talked about, right? My covenant, which they broke, although I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. And then verse 33, the very next verse. For this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That is a prophetic word from Jeremiah, something that that he didn't live to see. That's the words of God. That prophecy... And that promise from God was written 600 years before Christ died on the cross. 
And so when we celebrate Pentecost, we observe Pentecost today, okay? We are celebrating the fact that we are recipients. We are, we are, we're the vessel that God chose to deliver his covenant into. This covenant in Exodus, 3,500 years ago. And that is the covenant that God made with his people. You are his people with his law written on your hearts, his spirit being deposited in you. That's why this is so significant. I hope, I hope that it's soaking in and that you're getting it. What we're talking about here is what happened in Acts, and most of us have heard this at least vaguely in Acts, but I'm going to put it up on the screen. Acts 2, 1 through 4. It's where this flame icon comes from. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, talking about the disciples. And suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves, and a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Here's a, there, obviously, anything related to this is just a painting or, a, or an interpretation. Show me that. A lot of people think it was just the 12 apostles who were in that room, but it was hundreds of disciples who were there. And the spirit, the flame came out and distributed and rested on each one of them. And the minute it did, what happened was so significant that people started going, these guys are drunk because they were acting so unusually, let's just say. It was so powerful to see this happen. The disciples, they suddenly and dramatically, I was looking for a painting that, that just that displayed the, just the drama of that moment. And they were immediately empowered to display the power of God to the people of the world just as God told Moses, just as that. Where it said, all the people among you will see the working of the Lord. That is us. That is our charge from the Lord. That's the result of that covenant. He will be with us, yes. He will display his power, yes. And how does he do that? Through you. That's how God displays his power to the world today. And in case you trend towards the belief that the gifts of the Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit, all those things died out with just the apostles and just for those days, listen to what Peter said. Remember I said they, they accused him of being drunk? Peter gets up. The first sermon after this happens, the first Holy Spirit-inspired sermon gets up and says this. I'll read it to you. Acts 2, 17 to 21. And he's quoting Old Testament scripture here. He's quoting actually Joel in chapter 2. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy and your young men will see visions and your old men will have dreams. And even on my male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And I will display wonders in the sky above and signs on the earth below, blood, fire, vapor, smoke. The sun will be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. We're thankful that has not happened yet. 
yet is the key word, before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The vehicle that God uses to display his sign and wonders, his power, his glory, his majesty to this world, the vehicle is called spiritual gifts. And we're going to spend some time talking about spiritual gifts here in the next few weeks. Individually, the gifts are powerful. Individually. But they're multiplied exponentially in the power of the body of Christ, which is all of you. Paul described this concept. This is the first Corinthians that everybody's probably familiar with, right? Where are we at on time? All right, we're doing great. Paul described this idea. Remember I said he's trying to figure out just how to explain this new concept to the believers in Corinth. And this is going to be our foundation for the next several messages. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 1 through 13. You can follow along if you have your Bible with you. Otherwise, just listen as I read it. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be unaware You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to the mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is cursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. By the way, that right there is a test we use during deliverance to see if someone is speaking from the Spirit of God or from another spirit. Verse 4, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all person. Verse 7, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Why? Somebody's paying attention. For the common good is why you receive The manifestation of the Spirit. And I just lost my place. Okay, verse 8. For to one is given words of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another a word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. Verse 11, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. For just as the body is one and yet has many parts, also the parts of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit, all were baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink from one spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit manifesting in believers. That's how the power of God is made known to this world, and he does that through you. If you're part of the body of Christ, you have a critical role to play in this church. Now, the body of Christ is worldwide. It is global. And we're all called to be a part of that body. We are all a part of that body. But if you're called to this church and you call this home, that means this is your body. These people around you, and we are called to use our gifts 
for the common good, to encourage one another. We'll go into this in, in, in upcoming weeks. You have a critical role to play in this body, a role that only you are uniquely equipped to do. A body missing one of its parts does not function the way that it's supposed to. It needs all of its parts. So if you're saying like, I know I have this gift or that gift, or maybe I don't even know what my gifts are, and maybe I don't even know if it's important or not. If you're not operating in your gifts, this church, this body, the body of Christ at large is missing what you bring, something you have been uniquely empowered to bring. Holy Spirit has given you everything you need to accomplish the role he's calling you to do. And for the rest of this short series, that's what we're going to be talking about. We're going to be talking about the power of the Holy Spirit in the body of Christ. We're going to talk about the ways, the ministries that we have that help to use that and ways that whether we have a ministry in place or not already, that your gifts, your power given to you by the Holy Spirit can be used in the body of Christ. That's what we're going to be discussing. All right, so let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just, I pray that anyone who does not have an awareness of the way that you have gifted them, Lord, I just pray that you let them know that right now. That you speak directly to their spirit and point out the ways that you have empowered them to serve in the body of Christ, the ways that you have empowered them to be a display of your power and your glory to this world. Help us to see that. And Father, if we don't know what that is, give us a hunger. I pray that we get a hunger straight from you to find out what those things are, to explore those things, and that we have a passion for fulfilling the promise that you made to us 3,500 years ago that you would display your power to the world through us. Father, I praise you. Praise you for the Holy Spirit alive and active in the church today. I praise you for the power of Christ flowing through each one of his believers. Lord, I praise you for who you believe me to be. And I am a reflection of your glory to this world. Help me to walk that way. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, we're going to take communion together right now. Um, uh, Michael and Rhonda, would you mind serving over here since my other hand, Gabrielle, is out unloading a truck, I think? And then over here. Uh, So we're going to serve communion right now. If you are a believer in Christ, you are a part of the body of Christ, and you are invited to take communion with us. Up front at the stations here and here, we have wine and bread and gluten-free crackers, and you just dip in there and take it that way. If you prefer to serve yourself or prefer to not have uh, the wine, in the back we have juice and self-serve cups back there. You can do that. But let's do that with an understanding as we worship on with the team of who we're called to be. And hopefully we leave here today with a steadfast desire to walk out in that power. Amen? Thank you, guys.